You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is from an earlier interview with Monica Eaton Cardone, the COO at Chargebacks 911. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Llama Commerce Show. I am your host, Brett Curry. So excited that you could join us today. This is a topic that could potentially give people heartburn and high blood pressure, but we're here today to tell you that it does not have to be so. Uh, We are talking today about fraud and specifically chargebacks. What a dirty concept, dirty word to talk about in the e-commerce community, but it's a reality. We have to face it. We have to talk about it. And so as always, our mission is to demystify e-commerce into actionable bites. And today, this is a topic that I think needs some demystifying. I was talking to Andrew, our lead SEO technician, about the topic of the show. And he said, you know what? I'm on forums with merchants and SEO experts, a lot of people are talking about chargebacks, and there doesn't seem to be any great information on there, like how do you fight uh, chargebacks intelligently, how do you mitigate them, how do you deal with fraud and chargebacks specifically. So today, we have an expert on this topic, and I don't know too many experts on this topic, so this is a, a good find. We have Monica Eaton Cardone, and she's the co-founder of Global Risk Technologies, and their product chargebacks 911 which is some really solid stuff and monica is definitely a thought leader on this space she has spoken spoken at money 2020 which is a huge deal uh, cnp and a handful of others and now she's the guest on the llama commerce show so monica welcome to the show thank you so much for joining us very nice to be here thank you so much for having me yeah this is going to be good so before we dive into the nitty-gritty of you know how do we how do we help avoid uh, chargebacks how do, how do we deal with this what what are ways for merchants to be informed and prepared before we do that uh, and, and you and I were talking about this a little bit before yeah. we started the, the show how did you get into this like so how did you become a, an expert in chargebacks and fraud walk, walk us through that if you would Uh, So I was a merchant and I had had experience in all the traditional types of mediums um, such as, you know, print media, television, infomercials, things like that. And with the growth of the Internet, of course, I was enticed to try my hand at Internet marketing. Um, Like many of us find as soon it's it's not an easy transition. It's a very different animal. I, I mean, there are tons of variables. It's actually I would say a hundred times more complicated. Um, And like most merchants, you you get into this medium thinking the only barrier to success is just being able to sell your products online. And I found out rather quickly that that was laptop on the beach uh, mentality, right? I'll just, I'll open a store, I'll sit on the beach, sip my ties and. Right. The four hour work week was like my mantra. That's what I was shooting for. (laughs) And, you know, quickly that turned into the 100 hour work week. (laughs) So. So, you know, we finally, finally figured out, Okay, now we actually have sales coming in. You know, we've made it after a terrific amount of failures. And little did I know there was actually even more significant barrier because this barrier was hidden. 
there's, there's nothing on the internet that I could find out how to solve this problem. There were no experts that I found had viable advice for merchants. And this problem was chargebacks. So I created, I started actually creating a technology to help predict chargeback trends and solve my own problem and found, little did I know, there were other merchants on the planet that had the same issue. And after getting talked to by, and after getting approached by several of the banks that I worked with, um, I decided let's create a website, Chargebacks 911. And it started out kind of as a joke because really what I wanted as a merchant, I didn't want to deal with chargebacks. I just wanted to dial 911 and have someone come rescue me from the chargeback <laughs> hill that I was living in. Yeah. And after um, a couple months, we got contacted by the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And it's one of those classic stories where you solve your own problem to discover that everybody else is having the same problem. And, yeah. and the rest is history. Yeah, I love it. I love the fact that you started as a merchant. And so you felt the pain because pain is an appropriate word for when you have a chargeback, <laughs> the cost and the hassle and the headache. And it's just it's annoying stuff for sure. And and so, you know, it's really interesting. We, we love obviously talking about new technology and the way things are progressing in the e-commerce space. And I guess it was two episodes ago, I interviewed uh, Rob Toll, who's part of the Classy Llama team, and then Daniel Nettleton from Espresso Parts. We were talking about payments and payment technologies. And uh, I love to shop on mobile. I love to, to shop online, period. Uh, but, you know, I love how, how payments are getting easier online. We got all this, this cool technology. But I know that's also opening up some, some threats and some issues that we need to address. Um, before we get into that, though, I think it'd just be interesting. Can you talk about some trends? Because these are things that I was not aware of. I'm a marketing guy like, like you uh, started out as a marketing professional. So I don't think about fraud all that much. But if you right. can talk about how the landscape has changed in terms of fraud, you know, friendly fraud, chargebacks since, you know, 2009-ish or so, how, how, how have things changed and progressed? Sure. Um, well, there's dramatic changes. So if we look at just the, you know, we're all, probably all of us have credit cards. So here's an interesting statistic. Um, card holders, the average U.S. card holder and this is have a debit card or a credit card has 3.7 cards now 3.7 compared to how it was in 2008 is that you know the advertisements and this I think is a very good indicator of how much the industry continues to migrate toward you know consumer spending and making sure that that online transaction growth continues to expand um, what happened in 2009, 2008, cardholders still rated security as their very first concern and they weren't flocking to the internet as much. What we've seen is like that hockey stick growth and consumers are, are going to the internet. People are buying groceries on the internet. Um, it used to be that security was a number one issue and today security is right up there with a frictionless payment and what that means is we want, as consumers, we want convenience. We now trust our banks to take care of us. Right. And that says a lot about what the banking industry, because they have really advanced their security thresholds, their, their intelligence, there's a lot of collaboration. And frankly, you probably, you probably hardly even know a person that has been a victim of identity theft. However, you probably know most of the people that you know have actually filed a chargeback. 
or they've experienced fraud that their bank caught before it actually damaged them. Um, so this, this tells us security is becoming less and less of a concern for the average consumer. Where our concerns are, are really centered is on how quickly can I check out? How much transparency can I have? Can I buy this from my phone? What are, what's the freedom that I have around this transaction? It's really becoming a, a buyer's mentality and that demand is driving more technology, not less. Yeah, and I think it makes sense, and, and you hit the nail on the head where if you talk about, especially with your credit card, you know, I shop with my credit card online, and I know if something happens, the credit card company is going to take care of it. If it's not me, I, I really almost have zero concern there at all. Um, and, and so let's talk about that, though, and, and frictionless payments. I'm a big fan of that. I do believe that as we still see the, the gap in conversion rate between desktop and mobile, a lot of that is because of the friction that still exists with mobile payments. But uh, right. how do new technologies and complexities, you know, around frictionless payments and automated decisioning and things like that, how is that also maybe kind of feeding into this problem of chargebacks? Well, the more frictionless payments you have, you know, we're removing layers of security. We're removing barriers, um, which let's, let's face it, if you remove barriers, then buying something is even more painless you know, a barrier that no consumer wants to deal with. There's not one of us that wants to have to scroll through tons of terms and conditions and accept, agree, and sign something on the dotted line. But when you take out those compliance requirements, now we've actually reduced the responsibility of the consumer. And we've reduced it quite a bit. So, you know, with the luxury of having that frictionless checkout mo model, unfortunately, the merchant ends up paying the price at the end of the day. Um, they have they have a, a sale. Maybe they're increasing their conversion rates because they're able to sell more. But the consumer may not have read the terms and conditions. Um, the the cardholder is taking less responsibility at the end of the day. So you know it is it is really a balance between that risk and revenue that we're constantly forced to confront. Yeah. You know, one thing that I think would be interesting and, and just would love to hear your perspective because you're in this industry where you do all the time. Why do you think, and I, I read a statistic in one of the pieces you put together, the chargebacks are growing at, at a crazy rate, like 40% a year or something. And, and correct me if that's the wrong percentage, but why do you think that is? And why do people, uh, why do they go through the method of chargeback? Is it because they don't really understand what that does to merchants? Is it, is it laziness? Is it spite? What are your theories? Like, why are consumers, why are there so many chargebacks happening right now? Um, so uh, that's that's a great question. Um, and, and definitely the bane of many existence uh, for merchants online. Um, so, but first, just a quick correction on the stats. So 41% is an increase um, year over year is what we're trending so far for a, a type of chargeback called friendly fraud. And we can get into that in a moment. Okay. Um, but... If we take a look at statistics just in a totally different market, let's look at Europe, for example. Europe in the last year has had online transaction growth of 7%. However, chargebacks have spiked by 20%, almost three times. Hmm. So the question is, what's causing this? And what's causing this is a combination of, first, cardholders that are not educated about chargebacks. What do chargebacks do? Most of us as consumers, we're looking for that convenience you know, that, that fast, quick way to button, resolve. Right? I'm just, you know, take care of this easy, press the yeah. button. Yeah, and, and our banks are actually listening to our demands. So the cool thing with our banks, Capital One, if you want to file a chargeback, 
Little do you know, all you have to do is just click a dispute button right on your online bank account. In fact, you could do it from your phone. Now, the problem I think starts with just that ease and a cardholder or a consumer not realizing what happens behind the scenes. I, I, I would imagine the majority, the vast majority of, of customers who file chargebacks, they would never walk into a department store, grab a pair of shoes and walk out without paying for it. Right. However, filing a chargeback, this is exactly what you're doing. And it's actually a form of shoplifting. It's cyber shoplifting. Yeah, but it doesn't, there's not that ingrained, you know, we grew up shopping in a store as a kid and, and mom and dad tell us, oh, don't take that, you know, or, or you do right. and you get in trouble. There's nothing like that. It doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like yeah, I'm saying. It's almost, you know, it's almost like it's a faceless crime. You know, you don't have that. It, you, you don't have any human concept when you file a chargeback on an online transaction. Mm -hmm. And specifically, this is what's causing chargebacks to grow. It's an increase in online activity and, you know, and, and really the increase of online spending with banks addressing the convenience factor to try to make sure that customer service is as quality and high and, you know, they have as fast resolutions as possible. This is also a metric that banks measure for their cardholder satisfaction. So if, you, if I ask you, hey, what is going to make you most satisfied and you do a lot of spending online? You're going to say, well, I want a bank that can resolve any issues I have overnight. Yep. Well, that can create a problem as well. And once you learn a behavior and you realize how easy something was, you're probably going to do it again. And now you've developed a very negative habit that unfortunately hurts the entire industry. And it really hurts the merchant the worst. Yep. And essentially, I've talked to a few other merchants who have uh, ended up talking to customers who've done the chargeback thing. And it, it's interesting, like some of them you talk about, it's a faceless crime. Uh, some, I think some consumers don't even think that way. They just think they're doing like a return or something. They, they, exactly. they're, they're, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so really interesting. I'd like to talk about this a little bit. You mentioned friendly fraud. So I think probably people have an idea of what that is. But talk about that just a little bit. And then I read some statistics you, you'd put together or referenced about actual fraud versus false declines. And so if you would talk about, about those concepts a little bit. Sure, absolutely. Um, so friendly fraud... And I have to say, like initially, this term came up uh, probably about five years ago. Initially, when I heard it, I thought, what a horrible name. It's clearly not friendly. <laughs> of course, they would have consumer fraud, which goes against the consumer. This does not sound very friendly, but it's toward the merchant. And anything to the merchant is friendly. Right. But you know what? It is actually quite appropriate because if you think of friendly fire, friendly fraud is, a, is an act when a chargeback is filed on illegitimately. So it's a valid transaction that the cardholder, for whatever reason, ends up filing a chargeback on. Uh, for example, let's say I went to Amazon, I bought a pair of shoes, I got those shoes back, but they were really ugly shoes, and then I forgot to return them. So when my credit card bill came, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to call my bank and tell them that I didn't really get those shoes or the shoes were damaged or better yet, it was unauthorized. I have no idea how that charge went through. Now I got a refund. I felt justified because they were really ugly shoes and I wanted to return them and Amazon should never have sold those in the first place, but that's friendly fraud. Now, statistically what happens is as a consumer, I just learned a behavior. And even though I would never consider stealing those store those shoes from a store, and I'm not a thief, 
statistically, I am going to commit a friendly fraud chargeback again in 60 to 90 days. Hmm. And 50% of consumers will do that. So this is one of the biggest uh, attributes to why our chargeback numbers are continuing to increase and chargebacks effectively are a problem for every merchant that sells something online. Hmm. That's really, really interesting. So let, let's start talking about some specifics here. You know, what are, what are practical ways for merchants to reduce actual fraud and, and friendly fraud? What are some ways that a merchant can reduce that? So one of, one of the biggest challenges that a merchant has is to, to humanize a transaction. Um, if you can humanize it, then you're not going to fall victim for, uh, for that faceless crime. Now, of course, there's friendly fraud that is committed w intentionally, but the majority of friendly fraud probably is, in is not intentional. So how do you do that? Well, in the internet, then many merchants subscribe to the belief, you know, once the sale is transacted, that's it, my hands are clean, and now I ship the product, never gonna talk to that customer again. That is not a good policy. The best policy is to make sure that you have multiple methods of communication, stay in communication with your customer, make, humanize yourself, you know, let them know I'm a merchant, we have a relationship. Um, this is a very good tactic to, to helping to get rid of friendly fraud um, or discourage it at least. Another method, another thing is making sure that you have multiple methods. So many merchants that start out selling a product online, they may have a brick and mortar store and they're open for customer service between nine and five, Monday through Friday. That is ineffective. So you have to realize if you are open for business 24 seven, 365, which by default you are, if you have an online store, you're competing with that cardholder's bank. So if they can't call you at 2 a.m. on a Saturday morning, they're going to call their bank or they're going to go online. And we already know customers, just like ourselves, we want instant gratification, especially when we're upset about a transaction. So they will find the fastest road to that resolution. And if you're not there, then you'll lose the opportunity. That creates a friendly fraud chargeback. And the third most um, viable solution for helping to reduce chargebacks is, of course, monitoring, monitoring your statistics, paying attention to anomalies. Um, for example, uh, the other day we had a merchant contact us and he said, you know, I had no idea. I've had the, the best month ever and I've been shipping products all over the world and i said well do you do you normally ship products all over the world no it was like everyone just wanted to buy my products if you see something that is out of the ordinary question it establish and, what and you also got an email from the nigerian prince wanting to <laughs> transfer a lot of money to him and things like yeah, that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly before you pop out the champagne bottle right <laughs> yeah do a little digging statistics and see and, and don't be afraid to call the customers, call the customers, do some due diligence, do a little bit of research. Uh, you know, we, we can all get into technology thinking that technology will solve all of our problems. At the end of the day, a chargeback includes a human and technology will not solve every human problem. You have to involve some human insight as well. Hmm. Really interesting. And I like the fact that you're pointing out um, adding a human element. And, and so I'm just curious if, if you have a perspective or data or case studies or anything like that. What about a merchant incorporating things like live chat, you know, live chat on the side and then, 
you know, making the emails more personal where it looks like it's the owner of the business, you know, in the email or demonstration or, you know, how to install video, how to install a product video that's sent after purchase, just little things like that. Uh, do you think that helps kind of bridge the gap a little bit and, and make it seem more human? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the live chat, I I mean, any type of additional method that you have that engages customers is great. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes, we also forget, you know, if you buy something online, chances are you don't want to have to call a phone number and talk to someone for 20 minutes. You want to be able to log into an account or send an email or do a live chat or have a support option that is also digital. Um, so, so yeah, I think anything like that is going that is going to engage better communication that's efficient. Um, if you think of like just the payment method and how much effort is put in to creating high converging high converting websites, take a little bit more effort and actually put it into the customer service aspect and yes. figuring out you know how to reduce some of the risk after the fact. Yep. So that I know, hey, I'm making this purchase. If I ever have a question, if I ever have a need, it's going to be easy. Uh, to get that addressed. Um, it's great advice, great advice. So I know, uh, you know, from talking to merchants and talking to other experts in the industry that fighting chargebacks is just really hard. And so once you get that charge back and you don't believe that you should have received it, um, talk about what are the obstacles? Why is that so difficult to, to fight a chargeback? Uh, well, there's there's a couple reasons. Um, the first and the most obvious is if anybody has looked online for regulations and guidelines about how to fight chargebacks or read any of the, the card associations publications, then you realize you nearly need a legal degree and a dictionary to identify every sentence. And there's a lot of subjectivity, not to mention there are significant changes a couple times a year. So, and when you fight a chargeback, if you don't follow all of the rules and you don't know every guideline and you don't understand what applies to each reason code and the region and the sales method and your merchant account type, there's a whole slew of variables that you need to become an expert on. And if you don't get every single one correct, it may jeopardize your, your chances in, in winning anything. So you could spend a ton of effort and get nothing in return if you don't you know, check one of those boxes. Um, the second thing is that fighting a chargeback, it's also very difficult to, you know, just like we would hire an attorney to represent us because A, they know the law, they're neutral, and they're going to do a better presentation because they're not going to approach this as an emotional problem. Many merchants, when you fight a chargeback, it becomes emotional. You know, you feel like this consumer is stealing from you. And you forget that you need to apply sound logic, take into account all of the rules and regulations, and really build a case that has total legit evidence. And, and that is how you win a case. It's not, you can't win a, a chargeback case by sending an emotional letter. You know, you're, that, that's not going to do it. Yeah, such good advice. So when, when should you dispute a chargeback, right? If it's pretty time consuming and you may or may not get your money back, when when should you dispute a chargeback and when should you let it go possibly? Well, one of the tricky things with chargebacks is identifying um, the source of the chargeback. So in order to dispute a chargeback, first you need to find out, do you have a right to dispute it? it was it, and we know at the end of the day, there's only three sources of chargebacks, 
Either it was legitimate because their, the credit card was stolen and your fraud filter should have picked it up. Or you did something wrong and you know you didn't ship the product, you, you had horrible customer service, something, it's on you, do not fight those chargebacks, you'll never win them. And then there's friendly fraud. These are illegitimately filed chargebacks and you should be fighting every single one. So the trick is really identifying which chargebacks you should fight. And of course, if it's not your fault, you should fight 100% of those. And by the way, you should be winning 100% of those. That's awesome. So how do you specifically, because I'm sure people are wanting to know this. So chargebacks, 911, how do you guys help? How do you make this process easy and less painful for a merchant? So we have, um, we, we have a couple different things. Um, first and foremost, our technology is a patented technology. It's called intelligent source detection. And really what we do is we take in all of your chargeback data and chargebacks are assigned different reason codes. So there's over a hundred different reason codes. Um, now let's look at how, why that's important. So if you have a friendly fraud chargeback, there's no, you're, you're not going to call your bank and say, hi, I'm really trying to get away with an illegitimate claim. <laughs> you're going to come up with another reason. Like, guess what? It was fraud. Well, now as a merchant, you receive a charge back and it says, this is fraud. It has a reason code as fraud. Many merchants look at that reason code and they say, okay, it was fraud. Let me adjust my fraud filter. That's not the right action. So you need a technology that helps you identify true fraud from friendly fraud, true merchant error from not, not really merchant error, you know, or, you know, true credit card fraud from, it wasn't credit card fraud at all. It was a cardholder. Uh, once you identify that source, and that's what we do with intelligent source detection, we can feed back that data. And now the merchant knows which chargebacks are, are representable or, or which chargebacks they can fight, which chargebacks were the result of merchant error. More specifically, what errors caused those chargebacks so they can be more preventative in the future? And then which ones are credit card error or, or credit card fraud? In these cases, they can get feedback data that will help them improve their fraud filter intelligence so they have better results. The other thing that we do is we have a software solution that offers three different levels. We can help merchants with a self-service. If they have in-house teams, we also offer a fully managed service so we can do it for the whole nine yards. Nice. So if someone wanted to check out more about Chargebacks 911, how can they find you online and in various social media outlets? Sure. Um, you can visit our Facebook page, Twitter. You can also go to our website. That's chargebacks911.com. Awesome. And then if someone wanted to connect with you and can follow you on social media, and because I know you're putting out good information about this topic, where should they follow you? Where, what are you updating the most? Um, probably, I probably have the most updates actually just on our blog. Um, we do a lot of research. Um, we write for a lot of industry publications, but we do do a great job of making sure that we provide a lot of these resources um, on our blog, on our website, and you can actually ask me questions right there as well, and, and we'll make sure that we answer them and turn them around as soon as possible. That's fantastic. And maybe just kind of as a closing thought, because you know, as we, as we look at this topic, and we talked about this in the beginning, I think a lot of merchants have the mindset of, you know what, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to get the next sale and I'm just going to try to make my business better. And, you know, this is just a cost of doing business chargebacks. But what kind of before and after have you seen, like in terms of 
someone before they've worked with you versus after they worked with you on, you know, number of chargebacks they're actually successfully getting back. Any, any data or insight around that? Uh, sure. So it really, there, I mean, that can be a trick question because it does, there's a lot of different depending variables. Um, what product do they sell? How do they market it? Um, what region are they selling in, et cetera. Um, but just, I'll give you some case studies. So, and these are also published on our website. Um, but one of the things that we do is we work on our, our representment strategy or, you know, fighting chargebacks is an effort that is really designed to organically reduce chargebacks. So it's prevention. It's, it's 101 prevention. Um, so typical prevention after a 90 day program with us should be between about 10% to 25% because of the feedback that we're able to provide the merchant and, and also because of our relationships with different banks and, and in the industry. Um, then in terms of recovering revenue, then that's probably, um, the other day we did a case study with a group of merchants and it was above 70%. Um, so, you know, typically there's going to be some variables and, and variances depending on, on, you know, how the merchant is actually selling. One of our strategies is, of course, to help advise the merchant to make sure that they are following best practices for whatever sales method they're choosing. Not so much that it's going to reduce the revenue and conversion dramatically. Um, you know, we do take into account based on the fact that we've been merchants it is always a balance of risk and revenue. And the biggest risk as a merchant is not making any money. <laughs> so yes. you, know, you have to take that into account as well. It's, it's easy to, to consider advice that sometimes banks will give, hey, just refund more. If you refund more, you're gonna prevent chargebacks. Well, as a merchant, you know, predominantly over 80% of the people that file chargebacks, they never called you in the first place. Mm. Refunding more is really not gonna do anything except for decreased revenue. Interesting. Fantastic stuff. I appreciate that kind of a last little tidbit. So check it out online, chargebacks911.com. Check out the blog. Monica, thank you so much for joining us. You did an expert job, as we <laughs> expected, of tackling a tricky topic. And so for that, I thank you. And for all of our <laughs> listeners out there, uh, please let us know what you thought about this episode, what you'd like to see more of, less of. And as always, stay classy. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you.